Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, this morning we're going to be in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Give you guys a minute to grab a seat and, and turn to the book of Acts. There's some uh, Bibles placed around the room. If you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible. That Bible is our gift to you. We want everyone to have a Bible. And so take that, write your name in it. It is our gift to you. For those of you note takers in the room, the main point of today's sermon is this, that a lust for power always turns sour. A lust for power always turns sour. The response would be, behold the glory of God's story. And so if a lust for power always turns sour, the response to that is, behold the glory of God's story. We, we're currently working through this mini-series, four-week series called Tracing the Root. And, and here's, here's what it is, and here's the purpose of it is we've used a couple analogies to explain why we're doing this series called Tracing the Root. But what we're doing is we're trying to trace where our root sin comes from, what our root idolatry is. And so uh, we don't just want to hit at the surface level. We want to see what's driving the things that are at the surface level. And so, for instance, Ronnie, when he preached on comfort, talked about dandelions and said, you can't just cut a dandelion off at the top. You have to get down to the root to get rid of it. Last week I said that, uh, that getting to the root uh, versus the surface is like if smoke is coming out of the engine of your car, you can't just pour water on the hood because there's a deeper issue going on inside of the engine and we want to get to what that is. Today I would use a positive example today and I would say this, that the health of a tree is dependent upon its roots. And so unless we deal with the root at its core, then you can't have a solid, sturdy, or healthy tree. And so we want to deal with the root. We don't want to be people that just deal with surface level stuff or the surface of why our sins exist. We want to say, what is driving all that in the depths of who we are? What is going on? We would define idolatry as this, as uh, making a created thing into a God thing. We can do this with good things. We can make good things God things, but it's making a created thing into a God thing and, and, and to add to it is this God thing is something that gives you meaning and can define you. We, it's easy, it, it gets easier to identify what our idols are, and, and uh, one of the ways is through an emotional response. But if you want to know what an idol is in your life, have someone start to get near it or take it away, and emotions will come out. Anger, frustration, sadness, despair. What, if you want to identify idols, then, 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 then get near them and let people start to disrupt them or take them away, and you will quickly see what the idols of your heart are. There's a, a few other reasons that we're diving into this. Is, is we want to we get the gospel. We'd say the gospel is the good news. It is not good advice. It is not 10 steps. The gospel is news to be heard, to be preached, and to be received. And we would say we want to get that gospel into the depths of our souls. That we don't just want to get that gospel into the mind. We want to get that gospel to the heart of where we are unbelieving it. Not believing it. We also want to get to the root because there's things that we are doing consciously or subconsciously in our life that are impacting our relationship with God. It's not that we earn his love or merit his love, but there's things that we can uh, inaccurately believe about God that affect the way we daily live our lives. And we want to get to the root because it affects our relationships with others. There's things that we do and say in the ways that we live that's affecting us relationally. 
And last, I would say this, is that we understand this. There's no quick fix to this, to dealing with root idols, to dealing with tracing the root and getting down there. It, 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 what it is, is it takes a lot of grace and it takes the power of the Spirit. And so what I mean by this is that it has to be grace-driven and motivated, but Spirit-led and empowered. We don't, as I talked about last week, the, the reason why there are idols in our life is because we are worshipers. That's actually a good thing. But we start worshiping created things instead of the Creator. And so our way out is just not to go, I'm going to stop worshiping. I'm going to lace up my bootstraps. I'm going to clench my fist. And I'm just going to stop. The way that we get out of, of worshiping idols is actually through worshiping. The way that we remove a lust for power that will always turn sour is to behold the story of God's glory. It is worshiping. It is seeing God as more magnificent than whatever we're holding in our lives dear. So with that, let's look at Acts chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be introduced to a man named Simon. I wanted to ask people on the way in, when you think of power, what do you think of? When you think of power, what do you think of? Because I think, honestly, I think when we think of power, what we think of is like Arnold Schwarzenegger or some totalitarian leader, people that have held a, 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 a power of abuse. You might even think of positions in the church as power. But you might see all these things as power, but I would say this just quickly. That's not how the Bible defines power. In fact, we see in Romans 1 and in 1 Corinthians that, that the gospel is the power of God and the cross of Christ is the power of God. So if you want to know what power is, God says, look at the gospel. And if you want to know what power is, he says, look at the cross. But yet our world is filled up with, 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 with all these images of power and people trying to gain power and trying to, people trying to get power. And here's the reason why. We are created in the image of an omnipotent God, which means he is all-powerful. So we have this longing deep inside of us to have power. The problem is, is we're connecting to the wrong sources. And we're trying to gain it for ourselves instead of realizing that he is the one that has it and we can behold his glory in it. I'll say this too. I feel like, I was telling Brian this morning, I feel like a fraud in a sense through preaching through this series as I talked about last week because I struggle with control and I struggle with power big time. Big time. And, and so Brian's like, remember, man, that, uh, that we love you uh, not because you're perfect. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good reminder. But just as, as to be as explicitly clear as I can, that I have not figured out what it looks like to conquer the idol of power in my life, but I'm telling you that I'm struggling with it, struggling through it by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit daily. So I'm not, I know I'm physically up here, but I'm not up here preaching as someone who's figured this out. I'm, I'm on the ground level saying, man, man, I struggle with this, so you guys can pray for me in this as well. So with that, let's pray and let's dive in. Father, we love you, and I confess that though it is the mission of our church, Lord, to make you the hero, that I want that title. I confess that's an ugly thing. I confess that's not a noble thing. I confess that, that my mind and my thoughts go there, that I want influence, and I want those things. Father, I'm reminded that I'm even preaching now that it is by your grace that is sufficient, and I pray that's what would be reminded, that's what we'd be reminded of this morning is that true power is displayed through the sacrifice of the cross. That true power is displayed in the good news of not what we do, but of what you've done. 
I pray that we would marvel at your glory and be caught up in it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 8. We will move and work through this fairly quickly. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 24. Like I said, we're, we're going to cover some ground here, and so I'm going to move rather quickly. So, chapter 8, verse 4 says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So we're introduced to this man named Philip. And the setting is Samaria. But what happens is this, to give you a little context and a little bit of a background, is there's, these, there's this man named Philip. And the reason that Philip is in Samaria is because he was being persecuted. And because the new converts were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And so this man named Philip and also another man named Stephen, who you guys know was the first martyr we see in the book of Acts, they, they are actually the, 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 the deacons, the first deacons that we see in the New Testament. And so Philip and Stephen were deacons, but what happened is after Stephen was killed and after the persecution hit, then people were scattered. And where Philip ended up is down in Samaria, which is also really beautiful because throughout all of the redemptive narrative, we see that, that what the world does and what the enemy does is try to persecute God's people, and then what they do is they multiply by doing that. And so by them actually persecuting Philip and the new converts, it was actually helping the gospel to spread throughout all the region. And so now it's, it's spreading in Samaria. The other thing that we need to notice about Philip is this, is that it says that he preached the gospel. He was not an elder. He was not a pastor. He was a deacon. All people, all people, please listen, all people are called to preach the gospel. All men, all women are called to preach the gospel. What we do is we share the gospel of good news to everyone. That's simply what Philip was doing. He was not waiting on a title. He was like, it's my job to share the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it in Samaria. And so with that, there accompanied signs and wonders, and there was much joy, it says, in that city, right? But then we go on to verse 9. Let's read here. But there was a man named Simon. We see this conjunction, but. But there was a man named Simon. So it ended with there was much joy, and then there's this nasty but that there was, that sounded really bad, guys. I can't. Maybe we can edit that out, but I can't get that back from this room. So there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Look at that. Saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Okay. We're introduced to this man named Simon. And what we know about him is this, is that he likes to tell people, here's the first indicator that you might struggle with a power idol, is you like to talk about yourself. So he liked to tell people how great he was. We see that here. He liked to, to tell people how wondrous he was. 
And do you know another good indicator is this? Is that he also was recognized by the people as somebody great. You might know if you struggle with a power idol when your world exists to have influence over other people. Success is not a bad thing, but if success defines you and what you want, then that success, that, 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 that power for success will turn sour. The list of, of ways that we can acknowledge to see this, that we are not much different than Simon. I have a list of ways, please listen, that, 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 that might be indicators for the way that we struggle with power. One, we can see from the text if you spend a lot of time talking about yourself. Two, another way is that you always want the best seat just like the Pharisees did. Three, that you affiliate yourself with people who gain you more influence because what you really long for is to be influential. What you long for is to have an impact, but you long for this because you want the praise, you want the recognition, you want the glory. Important to note, not loud, obnoxious people are always the one who struggle with the power idol. Oftentimes, it is the quiet people as well. They also, want they, they, they also want recognition, they also want glory, they also want praise, and so we can't be foolish enough to think it's just the loud people that want this. So you name drop, that would be another way. Your life has purpose or worth through your influence, recognition, and you are spiraled when you don't get the praise or the glory or when you lose or get humiliated or the big one is when you feel disrespected. Why? Because it's all about winning. It's all about your influence. Now, another one is you will take on whatever gives you success even if it leads to burden. You must win. You must be the best at everything. Your greatest fears are losing failure and humiliation. Relationally, how does this play out? Here's six ways. You're unwilling to compromise in arguments with a spouse or with friends because that would equal defeat. You need to win the argument and have your way and for everyone to see your point of view because that is the way that you can maintain your position of power. Three is you can be stubborn because backing down is losing power. Four, you can hold a grudge because that gives you the upper hand of power. Five, you might say, I won't back down until my point is made clear and I drive that nail through the board. Six, you will tend to be a gossiper because the best way to feel superior is to gain that at the expense of others. Just some ways that we might acknowledge that we are not much different than Simon as we read in this passage, that he was someone who, as we see in verse 9, told people that he was great, but the people recognized that he was great. What do you, ha you have to know, notice this. It wasn't that Simon was great. The magic that he did, which was used commonly back then, they said that was great. And here's the thing. If there's something that, that, that you are doing, whether it be gifts or talents or character, and that's where you're finding your worth and your security and your identity, just know that someone better is always going to come along. Just know that there's a chance you might lose all of your success. And so if that's really the place where you, that, that gets your engine cranking where, where, and, and where you're driving your worth from, it's a really fickle place to put your identity. Verse 10 says they all paid attention to him from least to greatest. Oh my goodness, look at his influence. It was incredible. 
Do you know I feel actually bad for Simon? Do you know why? Because I don't want to be in the place that Simon's at, just to be completely honest with you guys. I don't want people from the least to the greatest to look at Rick Reeves, and, 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 and I'm going to say something in a minute because there's the other side of this. I don't want people to look at Rick Reeves and go, man, he is awesome. So awesome. And here's the reason why. is because as soon as I become a God in your life, that puts both of us at risk. I will let you down. Your world will be crushed, and so will mine. But then there's this other battle that, wa- that is uh, waging war inside of me that says, oh, I want that. That's the honest to God truth. That I want recognition, I want influence, I want power, I want to be praised, I want to be recognized. I think back to when I uh, used to do mixed martial arts. It's my, uh, it was my fourth amateur fight. Someone offered me a title fight, and I said, oh, yes. And to my, my coach and other people saying, really dumb idea. And I'm like, but all I could think about was how cool would it be to have that belt? How cool will, will I'll sleep with that thing on? In fact, I might even sew in bigger belt straps to wear it. All I could think about was that belt. Do you know what I didn't think about? Was that I got knocked out in 13 seconds. Yeah, in fact, my friends are so loving that they've developed a new name for a knockout. It's called a Treyhorn because the guy I fought was named Scott Treyhorn. They're really nice people, my friends. <laughs> yeah, and here's the other thing of how humiliated I was is there was a video store in Roseburg, Oregon called Umqual Video, and they decided to only buy fights from this one small organization up in Portland, the one that I got knocked out from. So it was, you could rent it. It was great. Everyone could rent it. <laughs> My lust for power and all I was fixated on actually turned sour. It also says here, and you maybe fill in the blank right here. Re- read this in the text so you guys can see it for yourselves. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his ma- magic. Let me ask you this question to ask your soul this. What do you put in front of people to try to amaze them with? Because for him, it was magic. What do you use to gain influence and recognition and praise? Maybe it's your giftings. Maybe it's your quality of character. And that's why this idol scares me to death because you can live inside of the church with a power struggle or with a power idol and you can look the part. Your character will be praised. Your reputation will be praised. But inside, you can be sour. We also need to see this. That Philip, that Simon believed. And then do you know what Simon did? Simon was was this guy. Look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. You know what he did? He aligned himself with the person that was now getting all the recognition. And what was he amazed by? Not the message that, that Philip was preaching. It says that people were amazed by the kingdom of God and by the name of Jesus Christ. Not Simon. Simon was amazed by the miracles and the influence and the recognition that he was getting, so he aligned himself with him. That's what Simon's doing here. Why? Because Simon has this lust for power, this lust for recognition, this lust for praise, this lust for his own glory. Look at verse 14. 
Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, and they might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's pause. I, I'm not going to belabor this. But I am going to say this. What is happening here is unique, and we don't build theological doctrines about what's unique or rare in the Bible, but what is common. And so this is a rare case where we see uh, the apostle uh, John and Peter coming into Samaria and laying their hands on them and then people receiving the Holy Spirit that had not yet received it. If you want to learn more about this, there's a doctrine called the second blessing. We do not support it. I believe it is an unbiblical view. We teach about it in the gospel leadership cohort. But that view would say this, is that upon putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you don't actually receive the Spirit, which Ephesians 1.13 would teach differently. And, and, and all throughout the redemptive narrative. But what has to happen is you have to be slain in the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and an evidence of that is that you speak in tongues. So what we don't believe is this, is that uh, uh, upon conversion, there's something else that needs to be done for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We believe upon believing in Jesus Christ, the Spirit seals you, and you have the Holy Spirit. So what is going on here that it is rare? This is what's happening. Samaria and Israel were enemies. I asked Lynn Jacobson, I said, what's a modern-day comparison of how much she, uh, they dislike each other? And she said, ducks and beavers. And, and, and so I, I would say more. Bloods and crips. For all the gang members we have in the room. <laughs> in the DAC. Uh, but I would also say Republicans and Democrats. Whatever it is that on the other view you have a, just a total distaste for, there was so much animosity and so much hatred that existed why? Because back in 722, what happened is Israel was taken over by Assyria, and some of the Israelites were carried away into captivity, but some of them were left behind. And the ones that were left behind started to intermarry with the uh, uh, Assyrians, and then uh, to the Jews, they became ha uh, uh, half-breed sellouts. And so there was all this animosity that existed. They, they, they were not pure Jews. Here's what's happening, and here's the beauty of the gospel is the gospel is the only thing that can tear down a dividing wall of racial or any sort of hostility. What we have to lift up is Jesus Christ. What we have to lift up is the gospel of good news. What we have to present to people is the gospel. Because in the gospel, what we have is one people reconciled to God by one person, Jesus Christ. It makes one family, it makes one person, it makes one people. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor Samaritan nor anything else. There is all one in Christ. Christ alone has that power. And here is what happens, is if you want to know for sure that the spirit that is being received inside of the church is the real spirit that the Samaritans received, then you send the chief apostles down there, Peter and John. They lay their hands on them and they testify the same spirit that we have as Jewish people, the Samaritans have it too. The same family that we're a part of, they are, family, uh, they are part of the same family as well. So they're, they're going down there was their stamp of approval to say, this is why it's rare. They are a part of the family of God. So that's what's happening here. Just as a quick background, and, and, and we'll keep going starting in 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Look at that. Saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, 
Our English is really, really soft here, guys. It says, may your silver perish with you. J.B. Phillips says this, what, 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 accu- what Peter accurately translated was to hell with you and your silver. Yeah. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, he says. Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. Here's this sourness. And in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. What's going on? Let's ask this. What drives the Apostle Peter to say such a brash statement? What, 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 what drives the Apostle Peter to respond with this indignation? And he is irate. Like, like he is, this is Peter churned up. This is Peter turned up. This is Peter excited. This is Peter angry. Why? Because Peter says, how arrogant are you that you think that you could buy the gift of God? If you want to tick off Peter, then pull out a 20 or pull out some good works out of your pocket and flick them at God and act like He's going to approve of you because of that. That's how offensive it is to Peter. That's how offensive it would have been to the apostles. But the reality is, is by doing that, I know this is strong language, guys, so just go with me. But in a sense, you, 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 you turn God into a prostitute by throwing Him money or throwing Him good works and saying, here, I can buy everything else in this world. Surely I can buy you as well. You cannot buy God through your good works. You cannot buy God through your good efforts. You cannot buy God through money. And the reality is, is the only reason he wanted God on his team or the spirit or anything like this is so that he could get the praise, so that he could get the glory, and so he could get the recognition anyways. He was not caught up with the beauty and the glory of the gospel. He was not caught up in the love of God. And in fact, we see this because when when Peter says pray, he says, you pray for me because I don't want any of those things to happen to me. That's not repentance. Repentance is that I've grieved the heart of God through my lust for power. Repentance is that I've broken God's heart. His repentance is I don't want anything bad to happen to me. True repentance is my goodness. I've crushed the heart of God by thinking that there's something I can do to, to... to purchase his gift. The gift of grace, listen people, the, the, the gift of grace and the gospel removes you from the center of the message completely. If you want to deal, we say worship is the way that we deal with the idols in our heart and life, and so I'm going to get to that now. If you want to deal with your struggle with power and your lust for power, the number one way that you can do that, which will be the hardest thing for anyone to do who struggles with power, is to accept that the gospel of God's grace is a free gift that you can only accept, that you can believe in, that you can receive, but you cannot earn. Why is that so hard? Because if you want the glory, you want the praise and the recognition, then you want to boast in what you've done. You get, you, you get no boasting grounds in the gospel. The only thing you get to do is say, my goodness, God is amazing. It's a free gift of grace so that no man can boast, Paul says. The only thing you get to do in the gospel is point to Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, I don't feel like I deserve the gospel. And I would say, amen. That is a prime heart for, 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 for someone to recognize that none of us deserve the gospel. And here's the thing. The other reason it's offensive is we, we understand this from Scripture. 
is that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7.23 is you were purchased with a price. In other words, you don't purchase God with a price. God purchased you with a price. What is that price? That price cost him the life of his son, the blood of his son. You can't flick enough at God. But what you can do to wrestle with, with worship and with your power of uh, uh, idol is you can accept the free gift of God's grace that he purchased for you and that he offers and gives freely. By doing this, you won't be the hero. By doing this, you won't be at the center. By doing this, Christ remains in his rightful place and he gets the power and he gets the glory. The next thing, the, the, the way you can worship is this, is you can actually see your humiliation, defeat, and disrespect in life as medicine for your soul. Because that's actually what Paul saw. As we read 2 Corinthians, he started to boast in his weaknesses. And he said that, uh, that there was this thorn that he had. And then he goes on to say, the thorn was given to me. And then he goes on to say, I'm actually thankful for it. Why? Because he says, I've learned to boast in my weaknesses and in my calamities and my hardships. Why? Because sometimes humiliation is given so that your power and lust for power won't destroy you. And you can praise God for the moments in your life that when you are humiliated, it might be medicine that your soul needs. And what you can also do is go, yeah, man, I blew it. I blew it. But I don't rest in what I do. I rest in God's grace. The other thing we need to know and understand in closing is this. share this. Just to give a real life example, because if if I say I struggle with power, you guys are like, cool, you struggle with power. I'm sure you do. What does it look like? Here's how it looks, is that that I want praise and I want recognition. And there was another uh, uh, church in town that was looking at possibly becoming an Acts 29 church. Do you know my response to that was jealousy? It bothered me. And I told our shepherding team, I was like, this bothers me. Why? Because it's like, why? Because I was like, man, we've worked hard. They're not going to work hard. They just get to receive it. It's like a picture of the gospel. I was like, what about all the hard work I've done? You know how arrogant that is? As though anything that's been done in this church is because of my hard work and not the faithfulness and grace of God. And that lust for power is something that's turned, started to turn me sour. And so I was like, please pray for me in this. Because all I'm worried about is getting recognition for something that I don't even deserve. And so in closing, I I would say this, that every other religion, say that, that every other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, is all about performing a work that you can do and in the end you get to be the hero of. Christianity is all about a work that Christ has done and he gets to be the hero of it. In Buddhism, you practice prayer, or or, or, uh, I'm sorry, meditation. Why? Because you want to get nirvana. And all these things, there's things that you get to do. In Christianity, you get to go, man, what do I get to do? You just have faith and believe and trust. What's the weakest thing in our culture? Admitting that you're a mess up, admitting that you're helpless, admitting that you're a failure. What's the most beautiful thing about the gospel? is admitting that you are helpless, a mess-up, and a failure. 
and that your life is hidden in Christ and the recognition that you long for, Christ gives you through being a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we understand that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have the perfect picture of power and sacrifice. I pray that's where we would look and model that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.